BetterHelp.com. You deserve to be happy. Types of therapy, individual couples, team, the world's largest therapy service, 100% online, professional alliance, and vetted therapists who you can trust. Tap into the world's strongest network of licensed, accredited, and experienced therapists who can help you with a range of issues including depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. With BetterHelp's therapists, you get the same professionalism and quality you would expect from an in-office therapist, but with the ability to communicate when and how you want. Get matched to the best therapist for you. Answer a few questions to find a therapist who fits your needs and preferences. Tap into the largest network of licensed, professional, board-certified providers, community. Communicate your way via messaging, chat, phone, video, Talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable. Therapy when you need it. Message your therapist anytime from anywhere. No scheduling needed. Schedule a live session at a time that's convenient for you. Connect from your phone, tablet, or computer. PrettyLitter.com Introducing the world's smartest cat litter. Health monitoring litter that won't break the bank or your back. This truly is litter box magic. 15,000 five-star reviews. Say goodbye to that litter box smell. Pretty litter traps odor instantly and then eliminates moisture so you'll never smell your cat's dirty business again. Easier cat clears and fresh glitter is just around your doorstep. No need to add baking soda or for extra odor absorption. Ditch the pine pellets and Upgrade to silica cat litter. Refill once a month. Scoop less. Up to 80% lighter. Cat parents are blessed with this color changing litter. Unlike traditional litter, pretty litter keeps tabs on your cat's health by changing color. Cats are notorious for hiding illnesses. Pretty litter changes color to tell you when your cat has a potential health issue so you can get them help before it becomes an urgent medical situation. Pretty litter, silica litter, crystal litter comes save you, save you big money on expensive vet bills. Not to mention, it could save your cat's life. The soil litter will sh- show the following: alkalinity. Blue may indicate certain types of urinary tract infections or increased risk of. Stone formation, typical, dark yellow, olive green, coloring indicates urine within a typical range. Acidity, orange may indicate metabolic acidosis or kidney tubular acidosis. Blood, red may indicate bladder crystals, feline lower urinary tract disorder, or certain types of kidney disease. How pretty litter works. Choose number of cats. Tell Pretty Litter how many cats you have, and they'll know how much litter to send you. They have options for going for every scenario. Get your litter delivered every month. Pretty Litter's lightest, lightweight cat litter is delivered to your door. Refill once a month. Pretty Litter's non-clumped advanced formula means you need less litter compared to traditional clay litter with clumping formulas. Save money. Pretty Litter will save you money on potential vet bills through early detection, plus on average costs less per month compared to leading brand competitors. 
Cleaner and safer. Pretty litter is made from clean, effective minerals that help control odor and reduce dust while also being family and pet safe. Household friendly, less dust, less mess. 99.9% dust free. Everyone's talking about pretty litter. Veterinarian's seal of approval. Why pretty litter is better at advanced odor control. Pretty litter super absorbent silica gel. Litter eliminates smells, ultralight, and delivered free. Stop hauling a giant bag of litter home from the store. Monitor your cat's health. Crystals change color to help detect early signs of illnesses. The pretty litter promise. Pretty litter takes some of the stress out of cat parenting so you can focus with mad Focus on what matters most, living a long and happy life. Together, Pretty Litter was demanded to give cat parents peace of mind, knowing that they can keep daily tabs on their cat's health. To further take care of your cat's health, Pretty Litter de developed Pretty Please, a premium grain-free cat food to support your companion in all stages of life. Look for a special introduction, introductory offer when you... Add pretty peas to your pretty litter order at checkout. 30 day guarantee. Try pretty litter risk free for 30 days. If for any reason you're not completely satisfied, just return within 30 days and pretty litter will issue a full refund. Get started today. Try pretty litter. Good morning. Hope you had a good week. Today's true crime story is the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo. The Boston Strangler is a name given to the murder of 13 women in the Boston, Massachusetts area during the early 1960s. The crimes were attributed to Albert DeSalvo. Based on the confession details revealed in court during a separate case and DNA evidence linking him to the last victim. Since then, parties arrested in the crimes have suggested that the murders, sometimes referred to as the silk stocking murders, were committed by more than one person. Names. Initially, the crimes were assumed to be the work of one unknown person, dubbed the Mad Strangler of Boston. The July 1962 edition of the Sunday Herald declared a Mad Strangler is loose in Boston in an article titled Mad Strangler Kills Four Women in Boston. The killer was also known as a Phantom Fiend or a Phantom Strangler due to his ability to get women to allow him into their apartments. In 1963, two investigative reporters for the Record American Gene Cole and Loretta McLaughlin wrote a four-part series about the killer, dubbing him the Boston Strangler. By that time, that by the time that the Savage Confession was aired in open court, the name Boston Strangler became a part become part of crime lore. Events between June 14, 1962, and January 4, 1964, 13 single women between the ages of 19 and 85 were murdered in the Boston area. Most were sexually assaulted and strangled in their apartments. Police believe that one man was the perpetrator with no sign of forced entry into their homes. The women were soon to have left their assailant in either because they knew him or because they believed him to be an apartment maintenance man, delivery man, or other servicemen. The attack was continued despite extensive media publicity after the first few murders, which presumably should have discouraged women from admitting strangers into their homes. Many residents purchased tear gas and new locks and deadbolts for their dolls. Some women moved out of the area. The murders occurred in several cities, including Boston, complement, complicating jurisdictional oversight for the prosecution of the crimes. Massachusetts Attorney General Edward W. Brooke helped to coordinate the various police forces. He permitted parapsychologist Peter Herkos to use his alleged exosensory presumption to analyze the cases for which Herkos claimed that a single person was responsible.
This decision was controversial. Hercus provided a minutely, minutely detailed description of the wrong person and the press ridiculed Brooke. The police were not convinced that all the murders were the actions of one person, although much of the public believed so. The apparent connections were widely dis- discussed between the majority of the victims and hospitals. Victims Anna Elsa Leggins Slessers, 56, sexually assaulted with an unknown object and strangled with the belt of her, on her bathrobe, found on June 14, 1962, in a third floor apartment at 77 Gatesboro Street, Fenway, Boston. Mary Mullen, 85, died from a heart attack, found on June 28, 1962, in an apartment at 1435 Commonwealth Avenue, Boston. In his confession, the house said he, she collapsed as he grabbed her. Nina Francis Nichols, 68, sexually assaulted and strangled with her nylon stockings, found on June 30, 1962, in her home at 1940 Commonwealth Avenue, Boston. Helen Elizabeth Blake, 65, sexually assaulted and strangled with her nylon stockings, found on June 30, 1962, in, in her home at 73 Newhall Street, Lynn, Massachusetts. Ida, o, Ida Odes. Erga, 75, sexually assaulted and strangled, found on August 19, 1962, in her apartment at 7 Grove Street, Beacon Hill, Boston. Jane Buckley Sullivan, <coughs> Jane Buckley Sullivan, <coughs> Jane Buckley Sullivan, 65, sexually assaulted <coughs> and strangled with a nylon stock, is found on August 24, 1962, in her home. At 435 Columbia Road, Dorchester, Boston. Sophie Clark, 20, sexually assaulted and strangled with a nylon stock is found on December 5th, 1962 in an apartment at 315 Huntington Avenue, Fenway, Boston. Patricia Jane Bullock, Bissett, 23, strangled with a nylon stock is found on December 20th, December 31st, 1962 at her home at 515 Park Drive. Fenway, Boston. Mary Ann Brown, 69, raped, strangled, beaten, and stabbed, found on March 6, 1963, in an apartment at 319 Park Avenue, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Beverly Simmons, 25, stabbed to death, found on May 6, 1960, nine days before her 26th birthday, in her home on Ford University Road in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Marie Evelina Evelyn Corbin, 58, raped or strangled with her nylon stockings, found on September 8, 1960, in her home at 224 Lafayette Street, Salem, Massachusetts. Joanne Marie Kraft, 22, strangled with her nylon stockings, found on November 23, 1963, in an apartment at 54 Essex Street, St. Lawrence, Massachusetts. Mary Ann Sullivan, 19, sexually assaulted and strangled with nylon stockings, found on January 4, 1964, in an apartment at 44A Charles Street, Boston. The murders of Margaret Davis, 60, of Roxbury, and Cheryl Laird, 14, of Lawrence, were originally attributed to the Boston Street, but were later found to be unrelated cases. The Savile's Confession On October 27, 1964, a stranger entered a young woman's home posing as a detective. He tied the victim to her bed, sexually assaulted her, and suddenly left, saying, I'm sorry, as he went. The woman's description of a taken led police to identify the assailant as Albert DeSalvo. When his photo was published, many women identified as a man who had assaulted them. Earlier on October 27th, DeSalvo had posed as a motorist with car trouble and attempted to enter a home in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. The homeowner, future Brockton Police of 
Chief Richard Sproles became suspicious and eventually fired a shotgun at the Savo. The Savo was not initially suspected of being involved with the strangling murders. After he was charged with rape, he gave a detailed confession of activities as a Boston strangler. He initially confessed to fellow fellow inmate. He initially confessed to fellow inmate George Nassar. Nassar reported the confession to his attorney, Effie Lee Bailey, who also took on the defense of DeSalvo. The police were impressed at the accuracy of DeSalvo's descriptions of the crime scenes. There were some inconsistencies, but DeSalvo was able to cite details that had been withheld from the public. No physical evidence substantiated his confession. Because of that, he was tried on charges for earlier unrelated crimes of robbery and sexual offenses, in which the, he was known as the Green Man and the Measuring Man, respectively. Bailey brought up the Savo's confession to the murders as part of his client's history at the trial in order to assist in getting a not guilty by reason of a sanity verdict to the sexual offenses, but it was ruled as inadmissible by the judge. The Savo was sentenced to life in prison in 1967. In February of that year, he escaped with two fellow inmates from Bridgewater State Hospital, drinking a full-scale Manhattan. A note was found on his bunk addressed to a superintendent. In it, the Savo stated that he had escaped focused attention on the conditions of the hospital and his own situation. Immediately after his escape, the Savo disguised himself as a U.S. Navy petty officer, third class, but the next day he gave himself up. Following the escape, he was transferred to the maximum security Walpole State Prison. Six years after the transit, he was found stabbed to death in the prison infirmary. His killer or killers were never identified. Multiple killer theories. Prior to DNA confirmation in 2013, doubts existed as to whether Salvo, Salvo, the Salvo was a Boston strangler. At the time when he confessed, people who knew him personally did not believe him capable of such vicious crimes, creating doubt of a serial killer who characteristically has a certain type of victim and method of murder. The women killed by the strangler were from a variety of age and ethnic groups, and there were different modi and parandi. In 1968, Dr. Ames Roby, a medical director at Bridgewater State Hospital, insisted that DeSalvo, DeSalvo could, was not the Boston Strangler. He said the prisoner was a very clever, very prison, very smooth, compulsive confessor who desperately needs to be recognized. Roby's opinion was shared by Middlesex District Attorney John J. Droney, Bridgewater Superintendent Charles Gilgown and George W. Harrison, a former fellow inmate of the Salvos. Harrison claimed to have overheard another comment coaching the about details of the strangling murders. The Salvos attorney Bailey believed that his client was the killer and described the case in Defense Never Rest, 1995. Susan Kelly, the author of the book, The Boston Stranglers, 1996, drew from the files of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Strangler Bureau. She argues that the murders were the work of civil killers rather than a single individual. Former FBI profiler Robert Ressler said, you're putting together so many different patterns regarding the Boston Strangler murders that it's inconceivable behaviorally that all these could fit one individual. John E. Douglas, a former FBI special agent who was one of the first criminal problems doubted that the Savo was the Boston Strangler in his book, The Cases That Haunt Us, he identified the Salvo as a power assurance motivated rapist. He said that such a rapist is unlikely to kill in the manner of crimes attributed to the Boston Strangler. A power assurance motivated rapist would, however, be vulnerable to taking credit for the crimes. In 2030, and former print journalist Elaine Sharp took up the cause of the DeSalvo family and that of the family of Mary Sullivan. 
Silver was publicized to be the final victim in 1964, although other strangling murders occurred after that date. Sharp assisted that families in their media campaign declared the Sobel's name. She helped organize and arrange the exhumation of Mary Sullivan and Albert H. The Sobel filed various lawsuits and attempts to obtain information to trace evidence, e.g. DNA, from the government and worked with various producers to create documentaries to explain the facts to the public. Sharp noted various inconsistencies between the Sobel's confessions and the crime scene information which she obtained. For example, she observed that contrary to DeSalvo's confession to Sullivan's murder, the woman was found to have no semen in her vagina and she was not strangled manually but by ligature. Forensic pathologist Michael Baden noted that DeSalvo got the time of death wrong. This was a common inconsistency also pointed out by Susan Kelly in several of the murders. She continues to have work to work on the case for the DeSalvo family. DNA evidence. On July 11, 2013, the Boston Police Department released information stating that they have found DNA evidence linked that which linked DeSalvo to the murder of Mary DeSullivan. DNA found that the scene was a near certain match to white DNA taken from, nephew, from a nephew of DeSalvo. White DNA is passed through the direct male lines with little change and can be used to link males with a common paternal line ancestor to determine inconclusively that it was the Sobel's DNA. A court ordered the exhumation of his body in order to test his DNA directly. On July 19, 2013, Suffolk County District Attorney Daniel F. Conley, Massachusetts Attorney General Martha Coakley, and Boston Police Commissioner Everett F. Davis announced a DNA test was proving that Suffolk was a source of seminal fluid recovered at the scene of the Sullivan's 1964 murder. In popular culture, the 1964 film The Strangler was inspired by the unsolved killings. The 1968 film, The Boston Swings, starred Tony Curtis as Albert DeSalvo Henry Fonda co-starred. In 2007, novel The Strangler by William Landay depicts the family of an attorney on The Strangler Task Force. A 2008 film, The Boston Strangler, The Untold Story, stars David Faustino as DeSalvo. The 2010 television film, The Front, starred Andy McDowell and Daniel Sanjata. Depicts a wet detective reopens an unsolved Nazi's murder of a woman who may have been the first victim of the Boston Strangler. The plot suggests, suggests that DeSalvo was not the only perpetrator of these Boston murders. The Boston Strangler made an appearance in the episode of The Strangler of CBS American Gothic, where he was summoned, back, summoned by the antagonist Sheriff Lucas Black to get rid of Merlin Temple, however, Lucas leaves town to attend a convention, and Albert DeSalvo, a.k.a. the Boston Strangler, decides to do more than just try to kill Merlin. The Boston Strangler is featured as a central figure in the second episode of TNT's Rosalia Isles, starring Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. The episode was called Boston Strangler Redo, featuring a new serial killer who killed women with the same names as the original Strangler victims. He is eventually revealed to have been one of the original detectives investigating the case who tried to friend the man whom he believed to be the real Boston Strangler. He and, Zodi he and the Zodiac Killer are featured in Image Comics The Roberts. A waxwork of Albert DeSalvo was featured in an episode of the British comedy series Psychoville. The waxwork comes to life in a fantasy secret along with those of John George Haig, John Christie, and Jack the Ripper. Trying to persuade character David Sauerbus to kill a man by strangling, those accused him of having several personalities referencing the 1968 movie. 
In the 13th episode of the second season of Crossing Jordan titled Strangled, the characters have a cold case party where they role-play the investigation into two murders that fit the M.O. of the Boston Strangler. The Boston Hardcore Band is named the Boston Strangler. Oh, oh, the Rolling Stones released Midnight Rambler on the album Let It Bleed in 1969. The song is a loose biography of Albert DeSalle of the Boston Strangler. is mentioned in the lyrics once. A 2016 podcast titled Stranglers delves into the Boston Strangler investigation and features clips of the DeSalvo confession tapes, interviews with relatives of the key players in the investigation, including Chief Investigator Phil Denatale's sons. Thank you for listening to this true crime story. Have a good week. Stay safe. And thank you for listening.